good morning. I'm glad you're joining us today as we open up a new series. We, we last week just finished our series over the book of Revelation called The Vision of Victory. And I hope you really enjoyed being a part of that if you were. If not, you can always go back and listen to, to those messages if you're really intrigued on, and wanting to learn more about Revelation. We spent a good deal of time. We spent four, four sermons really kind of getting into the idealist perspective of Revelation. It was a, I, I enjoyed that study a lot. So I, I hope you take some time, if you haven't listened to it, to dive into that. But we're starting a new series this morning. And it's a series that's kind of been in the making for a while because it's one that our elders and, and the leaders of, of our church here at Freedom have been kind of praying over and designing because it's, it's our mission statement. The, the series that we're going to be doing is called The Mission it's what we believe here at Freedom is going to be guiding us moving forward as we try to fulfill the vision and mission that God has placed upon us here. Uh, so we're really going to dive into this, and we're going to spend six Sundays going over what we believe are the directives for our church, the directives that God has given us in order for us to be a, an extension of Him. Um, for his kingdom. And so I hope you're intent on, on studying this with us and, and participating and being a part of what we believe we're called to do here at Freedom Christian Church. And I'm so glad you're joining us this morning in our study. And, and whether, even if you're not here in Russell County, even if you're not a physically a part of our church, these are all directives that govern, we believe, the church of God as a whole. Um, so it's, it's something that's universal. It's not just tied to our location here uh, here in, in Jamestown, Kentucky. But I'm really excited to get into this this morning. So I hope you are too. Let's open with a word of prayer first, and then we'll dive into the mission. Father God, you have given all of your believers a mission to reach the lost, to be an extension of your son. And... God, we want to do that here at Freedom, and our leadership has been praying over how we do this, and we've been discussing it, and, you know, in, in the world, the way it is right now, sometimes it can be difficult to see how we are missional, how we are mindful of fulfilling what you desire from us. So, God, as we do this series, as we study what you want from us, what we feel called to be here at Freedom, I pray that it I pray that this study impacts us, it moves us, and it encourages us to do what you desire from us, to be missional, to be an extension of you. God, be with us as we study this. Fill us with your presence, with your spirit, with your wisdom. Speak through me this morning. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. So, about eight months ago, I would say... Um, probably back in February or, or March, the, the elders and the deacons, we set out to, to formulate a mission and vision statement for the church. We've, we've had core values, and that's if you ever looked in the church directory that, that was made before my time here, there's, there's core values in the front page of that church directory. I don't know if you've, if you've noticed them before, but it's just kind of what we believe here at Freedom, and, and those beliefs haven't changed. They're still a part of our mission and vision. But we got to thinking, you know, what is it here at Freedom 
that God is calling us to? What strengths do we have at freedom that God is trying to use for the community and for his good? What, what, what vision does God have for us? And, and so we sat down to make a vision statement and a mission statement. And, and a vision statement is, is essentially a statement of where we, where we believe God wants us to to be, what he wants us to accomplish, the, the kind of specifics of what he wants our congregation to do within our community. And then the mission statement is how we accomplish the vision statement. Okay, so our vision statement, and, and for, I'm, I'm going to put this up if you're um, watching, I'm going to put the vision statement up so that you can read it, but, but our vision statement is that we aspire to be, or we feel called by God to be, a family of believers who always desire to welcome others as we strive to reflect the God we serve. Okay? We want to be a family of believers who always desires to welcome others as we strive to reflect the God we serve. That's our vision. That is what we feel God is using our strengths to do, that's what we feel God wants from us here at Freedom. And, and we can break that down in three different ways. There's three key words in that vision that connect overall to what we feel God is leading us to at Freedom. Family, welcome, and reflect. Okay? We want to be a family. And that's kind of a double meaning because here at Freedom... We're all related, basically, in one way or another. I, I always joke that we have essentially five families here at Freedom, and the tree just grows out from those five families. Uh, and, and so in, in many ways, we are just one big family here. We, a lot of us are all related. Um, Isabella and I aren't, and, and our new youth minister, Avery, we, we're kind of the outsiders coming into a family that's established here. And so we are all related, but we also want anyone who comes in to feel like their family. Even if you don't have a relation here at Freedom, we want you to feel, we want people to feel like they are family because they are family in Christ, or we desire for them to become family in Christ. And that leads us into the second part, is we want to be welcoming. We don't want people to feel as if they're strangers when they come to our gatherings. We, we don't want people to feel as if they're strangers when we go out into the community. Even if we're serving someone that we've never met before, we want them to feel as if we love them, as if we've known them, as if we've been praying for them because we should be praying for them. We want to be welcoming everywhere, both here in our doors and outside our doors as we're serving. We want to be a family that welcomes because... We reflect Christ. And, and I think that's the staple of any church, is to be a reflection of Christ. The church is the extension of Christ to a world. We are the holy, set-apart nation. If you speak allegorically of Israel, we're the holy, set-apart nation that is called to reach the world that is falling away. Okay, so in order to do that, we have to reflect Christ. So we want to be a family here to both relations and those that you know, are coming in. We want them to feel like family. We want to be welcoming in that sense. We don't want people to feel as if they're strangers here. We don't want people outside of our walls to feel as if we're standing back. That means we are needing to be in the community helping those that are outside. And we do all this because Christ calls us to. 
And so as we are a family, as we're welcoming, as we're doing all these things, we're doing them as a reflection. We're watching Christ through the lens of Scripture. We're watching Paul, and when Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ, we're imitating Paul. We're imitating Christ in order to be a family, to be welcoming and loving as we reach the lost. And so that's our vision. That's what God is calling us, we believe, our leadership here believes at Freedom, to be as, as a church family, as a church gathering. So how we do that, that's our vision. How we do that is our mission. So our vision, we, are a, we want to be a family of believers who desire to welcome others as we reflect Christ. And in order to do that, you're going to see the, our, our mission, the ways we accomplish our vision. The ways we accomplish our vision are, are six ways. We will pray for all. We will pray for all. We will share and carry burdens. We will grow in spirit and through the word. We will be accountable to one another with love. And we will exemplify Christ. And we will reflect on the church history, both wide and narrow, and on our family and community history as we continue to move forward. Okay, so, so we will pray for all. That doesn't just include the people in our church. That means the people outside our walls, as we're going to see today, because we're going to break down each one of these directives in, our, in this sermon series that follows. Today we're going to break down what it means to pray for all. But we're going to see that we're praying for all, not just people here, but we're using prayer as a catapult for our ministry. We're going to share and carry burdens, meaning we're leaning on one another. We're relying on one another, both emotionally and spiritually and physically. And in all things, we are together. We're growing. We're growing so that where we are today... Is where we are in the future, we look back on today and we see, how was I that far away? We're always wanting to grow in spirit. We're always wanting to grow through study so that we are exemplifying. That's another one. We're exemplifying Christ truly. And we also want to be accountable as we grow. We want to make sure that we're leaning on one another and saying, hey, man, I think we might be making some mistakes here, or, hey, I feel like I'm struggling with something. So we want to be open with love, and we we want to be accountable, and we want to reflect on the church, where what what got us to this point as a whole, and as an individual church here at Freedom, and when we, we want to remember our past, so that as we move forward into what God's calling us, we don't leave behind our roots. Okay, so that is our mission here at the church. That is what we are going to do in order to accomplish the vision. So over the next six weeks, we're going to study each one of these directives, as, as I call them. Each one of these directives that encompasses and, and shows us how we're going to accomplish our vision. And the first one is pray for all. Pray for all. That's what we're going to be talking about this morning. You know, there's, there's, an, there's a funny illustration on prayer. There, there was this man who was a Christian who was being chased in the jungle by a lion, and he was running as fast as he could, and, and he could feel that lion closing in, closing, 
closing in on him. The breath of the line was on his, the back of his neck. And, and as the man was running, he, he began to pray. He said, oh my good God, I, Lord, help me turn this lion into a Christian. And he kept running and then he realized that the lion's breath was no longer on him. And he, he paused long enough just to look back and he saw the lion had stopped and was kneeling with his paws together, and, and, the, and the, the Christian man was stunned. He couldn't believe what had just happened, so he walked over to the lion cautiously, and, and he saw the lion's mouth moving, and, and he thought, you know, this, the lion is praying. And he, he wanted to be near the lion. He wanted to pray with the lion. He couldn't believe what was happening, so he got close to the lion, and he began to kneel down as, as the lion was saying, and, and thank you, Lord, for this food that I'm about to eat. You know, we often have this weird relationship with prayer as Christians. We have a tendency to reduce prayer to simply something that we do before we eat a meal or to a checklist. You know, when, when we're stuck in a tough situation, we'll pray. Whenever there's something that we just desperately long for ourselves or for others. It, but, but the thing is, prayer is so much more than a tradition or, or a wish list, requests to God. Prayer is an, is an opportunity for us to come together as a family of believers, for us to come together individually and connect to the supreme being of the universe who, who has given us His Spirit that allows us to connect with Him like never before. You know, pr prayer is supposed to be a staple of our faith that's done regularly so that we can connect to the power and strength of God, not simply so that we can, you know, receive the things that we want. And we see that prayer is, was a staple, was a, a consistent and constant staple of the life of the early church. Listen to what it says in, in Acts 1, verses 12 through 14, it says, Then they arrived to Jerusalem, when, when they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away, when they arrived, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying, Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. And then it says in verse 12, They were all continually united in prayer, along with the women, including Mary, the mother of of Jesus. They, they had just watched Jesus ascend into heaven. They come back, and as soon as they come back to where they're staying in Jerusalem, what's it say they do? They gather together and they pray. They are united together continually in prayer. We see that this is a staple of the church's gathering. Every time they gather, they are praying constantly. And so the question isn't whether or not we should pray or how often we should pray, because we see that we pray all the time, regularly. That's what we're called to do in our gatherings. But the question is, in the regularity and consistency of our prayer, what is the purpose of it? Why do we pray? What are we praying for? What's the point of praying? And maybe it seems like a silly question. Why do we pray? Well, we pray to talk to God. But what are we praying for? Are we simply coming to God because you know, we have this list of items that we want Him to look at? There's so much more to prayer than that. And, and we see 
the more, what's in prayer, the, the, the purpose of prayer, as we continually study the church, as we study what Jesus teaches us about prayer, as we study what Paul teaches us about prayer. And so this morning, we're going to see three things as, as we follow this directive of praying for all. We're going to see three things that we need to constantly be mindful of as we continually and regularly pray. Okay, the first thing we see it comes from Acts chapter two, which you know this this event takes place about forty days following them praying in the upper room, likely. And it says, when the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place, meaning they were all gathered like they were in the upper room after they came back from Jesus' resurrection, which means they were probably gathered together praying. And it says, suddenly a sound like a violent rushing wind came from the heaven, and it, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. And then they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Okay, so here's the first thing we see from prayer. Here's the first aspect of our, of our directive of prayer. We are to pray for God's presence. We are to pray for God's presence. Now, when we pray, we shouldn't simply expect that maybe or maybe not God will hear it. Maybe or maybe not God is there. No, when we pray, we expect, we know that He's there. If we don't expect that God is filling us with His presence, that God is surrounding us in prayer, then what is the point of prayer? It would just be us speaking to an invisible room. The, the disciples, they were gathered in this room. They expected, they expected the Spirit to arrive because Jesus said it would. Listen to, to Acts chapter 1, verse, verse 8. It says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all of Judea and Samaria and the end of the earth. They knew that this was going to happen eventually. They knew that the Spirit was going to fill them. So when they gathered together, when they were in prayer, they were expecting the Spirit. As we pray, we are to pray for God's presence. And we, we so often like to reduce prayer to a checklist. I, I said that earlier. And, and when I think of that, I, I, I think of when I was growing up and, and my mom would go to work for the summer and she would leave us a checklist of chores to do that we had to get done before we get home. And I think of that when we pray, a lot of times we say, God, here's my checklist. Here's what I need from you today. Here's what's going on in my life. Go ahead and help if you can. That's such an oversimplification of the opportunity of prayer. Prayer gives us a chance to connect to the God of creation, to the God of the universe, to our Savior. Prayer gives us the presence of God. Why would we want to take that time and just reduce it to a checklist? When we pray, we should pray for God's presence. And as we pray for God's presence, we need to keep in mind that we're going to be filled with His likeness. We're going to be filled with His character, with His desires. And that's why when we pray, this leads us to the second aspect of what prayer should be. And this comes from Jesus. Listen to what Jesus says about prayer to His disciples in His Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 
5, he says, You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Okay, so we, we saw first that when we pray, we're praying for God's presence. And if we expect God's presence in our prayers, when His presence fills us, that means we're, our goal is to be filled with His characteristics, with His desires, with His actions. And part of that is that we should no longer restrict our prayers simply to ourselves or to our loved ones, but even to those who, <laughs> who we have problems with. Wow, man. I just can't believe this person would do that. I can't believe that they're acting this way. Oh, I can't stand that person. That's the person you've got to pray for. Because that's what Jesus says. Pray for your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who get on your nerves. Pray for those who you don't agree with. Why? Though. Now, this is an important directive. This is an important aspect of prayer. But, but Why? What's the point of praying for our enemies? What do we get out of praying for our enemies? What, what, why, do we, why are we supposed to pray for our enemies? Because when we pray for our enemies, we're reminding ourselves of another point that Jesus makes. There isn't hate in heaven. There isn't hate within God. When we pray for our enemies, we're reminding ourselves that God is love, that, that we are to love even those that we don't get along with, even those that we don't agree with. When we pray for our enemies, we're reminding ourselves that Jesus has called us to be different than the rest of the world. The rest of the world isn't going to pray for their enemies. The rest of the world isn't going to think and, and wish good for the people that wish harm for them. We're called to be different. Listen, he says in... in in verse 47 here, if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same. If we want to be different, as Jesus calls us to be different, then that means we are to pray and love and, and, and bring into the presence of God those who we don't really like. Praying for our enemies reminds us that God showers His love on us, even though we don't deserve it at all. So we're to pray for God's presence. That's really where prayer begins. This is the opportunity for the Spirit that is within us to strengthen and connect to the source of its power. And as we do that, as our character shifts inside of us because the presence of God is growing within us, we should pray for our enemies because that's the character of God. To love even those who don't love Him. Even those who wish harm against us. And then that brings us to the third aspect of prayer. When we say here at church, that here, here at Freedom, that, that in order to accomplish our vision, we are praying for all 
That means all. And there's a purpose in praying for all. We're praying for our enemies, not just our friends, not just ourselves, because it reminds us of the love of God. But we're also to pray for all because it reminds us of the overarching mission of the church. Listen to what Paul writes to Timothy. Timothy is Paul's, essentially, his star pupil. It's the person that Paul sent out after Timothy had grown and, and, and gained wisdom and leadership skills. Paul sends him and says, okay, it's now your turn. It's now your time to go lead the church, to go lead this church here. And, and so Timothy's going out to lead the church, and Paul writes him this letter of encouragement about how to lead the church, what, what the church is supposed to be, what the believers are supposed to do. And in this letter, in the second chapter, Paul says, first of all, I urge that petitions prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and all those who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good, and it pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. We are to pray for all, as Paul says, we're to pray for everyone, even the kings that might oppose us, even the authority figures that might belittle us. We're to pray for all because God wants all to be redeemed. So first we're supposed to pray for God's presence, that's first and foremost. Then we're supposed to pray for our enemies as we draw into the character of God in our prayers. And then we pray for evangelism. We pray as we remember the mission that Jesus left us. We pray that the world might come to know Him. Because that's what He desires. And that doesn't mean that we just simply pray and say, Okay, God, uh, I pray that everyone comes to know You. That's fine. But let's narrow it down a little bit. God... Give me someone to show you to. God, give me someone who needs you. God, give me someone who is hungry for you but doesn't know it yet. God, show me who it is that you want me to tell them about you. We are to pray for evangelism because evangelism is the mission of the church. So we pray for God's presence within us to form us and shift our character. We pray for our enemies as our character shifts and we extend love to everyone. And out of that love that we've extended, we pray for God to use us so that His kingdom can be proclaimed. It's not simply enough to say, okay, God, whenever I get a chance, I'll say something to someone. If we want to fulfill our call as Christians, our prayer is, God, show me where you want me. Show me who needs you and use me so that I can show them to you. So I can show you to them. Those are our three aspects of prayer. In prayer, we have to remember, prayer is our directive. It's the encompassing directive that, that really is, is lighting the spark of our mission. 
Without prayer, without being continually and regularly engaged in prayer, we won't connect to the vision that God has for our church, for our gathering, for our family here. Prayer, first and foremost, is what draws us near to God and shifts our desires to His desires. There's there's a well-known preacher named Dr. Donald Barnhouse. He was a, a a scholar, a teacher, a, a, a pastor, and he was preaching at a, his church to a packed congregation, and he was preaching on the sovereignty of God, and he walks up to the pulpit, and he looks over at everyone that was gathered there, and he says to him, prayer changes nothing. As soon as he said that, you could have heard a pin drop. Prayer changes nothing. And, and the point that he was making in that statement is that you know, God is sovereign whether we pray his sovereignty or not. You know, by uttering a few words, we're not going to change the course of history. By uttering a few words, we're not going to you know, make drastic changes. Prayer changes nothing. That's what Barnhouse said. You know, it, it's kind of a misconstrued point. It's true. Prayer and God's sovereign regardless of our prayers. But he missed the essential crucible of prayer. Prayer might not change the outcome of history, but prayer changes me. When we pray, we change. Our focus changes, our desires change, and our inner self changes as we shift from self-orientation and focus to God-orientation and focus. That's the point of prayer. Prayer changes us. Prayer changes what we desire. It changes our connection to God. It changes our focus from the world to Him. Prayer changes us. In the book of Acts, after the disciples went into the upper room and received the Holy Spirit, as they prayed for the Spirit, as they prayed for God's presence, what we see happening later on in, in, in the chapter, in, in, in chapter, later on in chapter 2, is all the disciples go out into Jerusalem on this big festival of Pentecost, and they bring thousands of people to know Jesus. Simply because prayer changed them. Because the Spirit of God was on fire within them. Because they were praying for that Spirit. Because they were moved by that Spirit. Because they desired that Spirit. It changed them. And they changed the lives of others as a result. And then after doing this, after bringing thousands of people to know God, we get what... We, we get what is essentially the mission statement of the church, of the early church, of the first believers. It says in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. That, in the next few verses, is pretty much the basis for our vision and mission statement. One of the staples, one of the major staples 
of the original disciples, the basis of their mission was to be steeped in prayer. We have to realize how vital prayer is to our gathering. It should never be tossed aside. It should remain a staple of our meeting. And when we gather in prayer, we need to expect God's presence to be moving within us and around us. And as that presence moves in and around us, we should desire for it to change us so that we exemplify Him to the point that we're loving people that don't love us at all. And to the point that it shifts our desires. It shifts our goals. And we're not any longer concerned about what we get out of life, but what God gets accomplished through us so that everyone can come to know Him. Pray. It's the first directive of our mission here at Freedom. Pray so that it changes us so that God can use us to change the world around. Let's close in a word of prayer. God, move us. Fill all of us with your spirit, with your presence, so that it changes who we are, so that we exemplify you more and more every day. And out of that exemplification of you, we are moved to do your will, to accomplish your desires, not our own, so that we reach the lost, we proclaim your kingdom. God, use us here at Freedom. Use us for you. In whatever way you see fit, help us to continually remember to engage in prayer and draw strength from Thank you, God, for the love you have for us, for your spirit. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. This week, as you go about your week, remember to pray for God's presence, for his characteristics to the point that you're loving the people that don't love you back, and for his mission to be implanted upon your heart. We'll see you next Sunday. If we remember to join us on Wednesday night for our Bible study, but if not, we'll meet back together to continue our study over our mission here at Freedom next Sunday. Have a good week.